Hi, welcome to New Hope Community Church Online. The sermon you are about to hear was originally given by Pastor Chuck Wilson. New Hope Community Church, to know, to live, and to share Jesus Christ. The title for today is, When God Does the Opposite of What We Expect. You ever feel that way? You might, nobody here, but you might know somebody who feels that way. 1 Kings 17, 2-3, when God does the opposite of what we expect. I remember, uh, you know, I had done youth ministry for 10 years before, church planting and all, and uh, I remember one of the churches I was, the last time I was a, church, a youth pastor was at a church in Connecticut, a suburban church, and it was on fire. We, it was grow, the youth group was growing, uh, they were on fire, the kids were excited. It was really like a little bit of a mini revival with these teenagers, and uh, so many, it was very, very exciting, but there was a local Christian school that had a little ministry with the inner city. They had some inner city kids, about like seven or eight kids, you know, van load of kids, and they had an inner city, and they got worn out doing this, and they said, you have this youth group, suburban youth group, what if you took over this ministry? What you do is just go down and pick these kids up from the inner city, it was in the projects. Um, the kids called it the ghetto. The kids from there called it the ghetto. It was really a rough, rough, rough area. In fact, they, after I moved, they ended up bulldozing. It was, it was so rough. And uh, they just knocked it all down. Uh, but it was, uh, they said, would, it, would you be willing to take them every week? And I was looking for something for my kids to get out of the suburbs and to, you know, do some ministry. I wanted outreach for them. So I said, sure, we'll take it. And I drove the van down and picked these kids up, brought it back. And we had a blast. I had some of my teenagers there, and we just had a blast. We had such a great time with these kids. The next week, I went down, and the van was full, filled up. Then we ended up doing two vans. And then going down, we ended up using a bus. We had this old Greyhound bus. It was just old Greyhound. We could just jam kids on top of kids. There's no laws. There's no seatbelts back then. They literally were, we put them everywhere. I just, that's all I'm going to say. So, uh, but uh, we, they were everywhere. And so then we ended up doing the Greyhound. Then it ended up being the Greyhound in two vanfuls. And it was a mob. It was just crazy. Over 100 kids. It was, it was just crazy. I remember pulling up one time and getting off the, the bus, and the kids start piling in. One little kid runs up and says, can I come? I go, well, yeah, go ask your mom. He goes, I don't know where my mom is. Little kid, I don't know where my mom is. I'm like, okay, get on. You know, this is what it was like. We, it was a different time, a different time. Piled on, piled on. Brought him back a couple hours later. Still didn't know where his mom was, right? So uh, it was crazy. It got so crazy, we finally couldn't control it. Well over 100 kids. And we finally did a one-to-one registration where I, I, I got all my teens and people in the church to sign up and to help. Every, it's every Tuesday night we would do this. And I, I said it has to be one-to-one because it was just getting out of control, really out of control. And so I got about 70 people volunteered. We, we registered 70 kids, and, and they, would, they, we, they all came every week. And it made such a difference having the one-to-one. It really had a, a huge impact ministering one-to-one, having that relationship uh, not just crowd control, but it was a relationship. I remember one kid, his name was Jimmy, and he was a troublemaker. The first year we did it, he was, he was just bad. And he, he was mad. He was always causing trouble, fighting, doing something bad. I finally had to kick him out. I said, you got the year off. Don't, you can't come back. The next year he said, I want to come back. I said, okay, fill out, get your parent, whoever parent, grandma, somebody, fill out your registration form. Got him in, did one-to-one, and it made all the difference for this little kid. He just needed somebody. And he opened up. He told his buddy, he said, the reason I'm so mad 
is my dad has AIDS and I'm not allowed to see him anymore. And this is way back, way back when that was, you know, at the start of AIDS, really. And he said, I can't visit him. And, that, and that's why he was so mad and he would act out so much. So we started having this great impact with these kids. And, we, and then some of their older brothers and sisters started coming. So we started inviting the teenagers to youth group, to our youth group. We had this youth group going. It was happening. And, and all of a sudden we had all, like, you know, a big group of kids from the inner city coming to our youth group. We already had about 100 kids and we had another 30 of these. You talk about a culture clash. It was, it was crazy. Uh, it, was, it was just really, really crazy. The church started getting real nervous, you know. I had people coming to me, eh, we don't want these kids in our church. That's why I moved out of the city to the suburbs. I want to get away from those kids. And I'm like, with great attitude, sir. Yeah, and I, and I, I made a few enemies. But the senior pastor defended, defended and backed us up. He was great about it. He, he supported us. He was super. He even started driving the bus. He, had the, he drove the Greyhound and picked the kids up with me. Um, it was great. And then we started this, but uh, we started getting really connected with the kids. I started a uh, thing on basketball. The kids all love basketball, so I started playing basketball with them on Saturday mornings. And I'd go down with a van load, and you'd go down with a van and pick them up early Saturday morning. And it was a good time to go because there weren't many people out yet down at the projects, you know. It was always a little scary. So I remember going down there, and, uh, and uh, I went down, and it was a really rough area. And I remember there was a, there was a one one boy in particular. He was really angry. I would invite him, and he was really angry. His name was Juan. And I said, "Why? Why are you so angry all the time?" And he said, "You don't know what it's like, just to get down to come to the van." He goes, "I I have to go through the hall, and everybody's shooting up." Um, what did he say? They're shooting crack in the hallways, and there's, they bleed all over the hallways. i got to walk through that. And, and if I complain, they say, if you report us, I'll stick your mom with needles. You know? And he said, they would have. They were stuck them with these needles, infected needles. And it was, you know, it was, just, it was just crazy. Um, but we started getting really involved in their life. And um, I remember uh, going down there and for this basketball thing, and I didn't know what I was doing. I knew I'm from the farm, right? You know my farm story. It's farm. I know cows moo. I don't know anything about what it's like in the city. If I saw a stoplight, I would lock my doors back home, you know? You know, it was just, we were just out in the boondocks, right? But I remember going down there and, and many times saying, God, what am I doing here? What, what am I doing here? Why do you have me here? What's going on? And I remember one time going down to pick up these kids for the basketball thing and it was when I was first getting started and I pulled up and the kids who I invited come running out and another kid saw us and said can I come too and he said yeah come on he goes let me go get my shoes he went to get his shoes so I'm standing there looking around for other kids to invite and I see another little guy a younger kid maybe seven or eight years old standing there looking at me and I was looking at him and I smiled and I waved to him and and I brought one of my um my youth leaders along, an intern actually, and, and he used to be in gangs and used drugs, and he was from a rough background, but now he was a Christian, he was helping with the youth group, and he came down because he didn't trust me <laughs> to go alone, obviously, and he goes, I better come along with you. He was also a karate expert, and he said, I'm going to come along just in case, and so he goes, what are you doing? Why are you waving at that kid? I go, what? He's just a little kid. I'm trying to wave to him. I'm going to come to play basketball. He goes, look behind him. I looked behind him, and there were some people that weren't smiling. There were some adults right behind him glaring at me. And I go, what are they upset about? He goes, 
this is a drug deal. That kid's a lookout for a drug deal. And this guy knew all about it because he used to do so much drugs. He goes, that kid's a lookout, and, and you, now you've upset the drug deal, and they're, they're trying to figure out what to do. He goes, well, what, are, what do they think? And he said, right now they're trying to figure out one of two things. Either we're undercover cops because we're the only you know, people of our you know, pigmentation there. You know, they're either you're undercover cops or, or you're just really stupid. I said, tell him I'm stupid. Tell him I'm really stupid, you know? Because it was like, it's just like Miami Vice, you know? I saw it on TV. Yeah. And, uh, and, and, and I looked up, and I'll, I'll never forget, one of the guys who we got in the van, I knew his dad, because we had met, met, stepdad met him, and he was leaning out of the window, gave the guys a look like, hey, it's okay, stupid's with us, you know? He went, and uh, <laughs> we got in the van and we got out of there, but he gave him the look like the signal, we were okay, you know? So we got out of there. And I... I was like, God, why me? Why would you send my intern? Send him. Let it be his ministry. Why? Why you send me? Why? Why me? But often God does the opposite of what we expect. He does the opposite of what we expect. As we'll see today in First Kings, and you might be feeling the same way. Why does when God does the opposite of what we expect in our life? This passage is really powerful. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for. The worship, we thank you for a place to worship safely. We thank you for your word now. We pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to us and touch us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, 1 Kings 17, we'll read 1 through 3. Now Elijah... The Tishbite from Tishbe in Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, whom I have served, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah, Leave here, turn eastward, and hide in the Kerith ravine east of the Jordan. There we are. Verse 2, he says, The word of the Lord, after he confronts Ahab, the word of the Lord comes to Elijah. And something that, to notice there, and this is what we're, not what we're focusing on today, but I just kind of want to mention this. God doesn't give new directions until we obey the first directive. God doesn't give fresh revelation until we obey the, the, what, the revelation we already have. He doesn't give new direction until we obey the previous instruction. God leads us step by step, which is hard for us in, in, our, in our human beings, right? Because we want all of our ducks lined up in a row, don't we? We want to see the whole thing laid out. But that's not the way God works. Remember the book of Joshua? All through the book of Joshua, we saw step of faith after step of faith after step of faith. You take the first step of faith, and then God shows us the next step of faith. That's how God works. So he, after he obeys and he confronts Elijah, Ahab, then he sends him to the next place. And in verse 3, it says, hide yourself. Now, when he says... Um, Let's see, leave here, hide in the Kareth ravine. Hide there. Uh, this is not, a lot of people think, well, he's hiding because he's afraid of Ahab. No, this is not for Ahab's protection. God can protect us anywhere. He didn't have to hide Elijah to protect him from Ahab. God can protect us anywhere. We are safer if we're in God's will. We are safer in a war zone than we are sitting on our own couch out of God's will. Much safer. A lot of you know we're going on a mission trip and we're going to a dangerous area. It's a very, very dangerous area. But God's leading and we're going. But uh, there's risk, but nothing can happen to us 
unless it's in God's purpose. If God leads us somewhere, clearly leads us somewhere, and if we take that step of faith, we are safer there wherever that is than not going. Believe it. Think of Jonah, right? We are safer there. God can protect us. Nothing can happen to us unless it's God's purpose. Unless it's God's purpose. And if it is, it's going to happen, right? And he says here to Elijah, he's not protecting Elijah, he says, hide yourself. But the Hebrew word here for hide is not the same one that's often used, like when Rahab hid the spies. They were hiding them to protect them. When she hid the spies, that was a whole different word. The word here in the Hebrew is a word that used as a force of conceal or absent oneself. And that's the idea, to remove yourself, to absent yourself, to remove yourself from a situation. Because God is not hiding Elijah from danger. He is hiding his prophet from the people of Israel. He's removing his prophet from Israel. Kareth, where he's going to, means literally means a cut. A cut. It's a ravine. Cut, you know, in the stone there, the ravine. It comes from a root to cut off. To cut off is the root. And that's what God is doing with Elijah. He's cutting him off. In essence, God had already sent a physical drought. And now God is sending a spiritual drought. He's cutting Elijah off. From, just like he's not sending the rain, he's not sending the word of God now. In fact, in Amos 8, in Amos 8 verses 11 and 12, listen to what Amos says. From God, the days are coming, declares the sovereign Lord, when I will send a famine through the land, not a famine of food or a thirst for water, but a famine of hearing the words of the Lord. Men will stagger from sea to sea and wander from north to east, searching for the word of the Lord, but they will not find it. That's what God was doing. He was removing Elijah and his preaching the word of God, and it was a sign of God's judgment on Israel. They weren't obeying the word? You don't have it anymore. You're not listening to my prophets? I'm taking them away. That's what he was doing. And, and just as a physical drought is meant to create this intense thirst to get people's attention, removing God's word, hopefully, and we're going to see it actually happen for at least a remnant, removing God's word hopefully makes God's people desperate for God's word. That's what that's why he pulls his word away. It makes people desperate. It makes them thirsty. It makes them seek. And a lot of you know what I'm talking about. A lot of you came out of churches that didn't preach the word of God. We see this happening in the United States today. God doing the same thing. There is a spiritual drought. There was a time in the past when it wasn't like this. But we have seen a spiritual drought. In my lifetime I've seen it happen. Many here grew up in churches where they barely opened the Bible, right? It was just man-made traditions being taught. Traditions, that's all. Many denominations, you came from denominations that once were on fire for God, that once preached the word and the gospel and impacted the entire country, but now they're apostate. And these denominations and churches are hemorrhaging. They're disappearing. They're drying up. TV, look at what's on TV. You want to talk about drought? It's most of it. There's a few godly pastors on TV that you can listen to, but the vast majority, it's spiritual garbage, right? It's a bunch of garbage, positive thinking, but not biblical teaching, loaded with false teachers. The vast majority, it's just false teaching is, is, is all that's there. Even in many evangelical churches today, 
in our country? What are we seeing? That they're becoming lukewarm. That they're just like, you know, God says, I'll spit you out of my mouth. We're a bunch of spit churches, you know? It, it, it's, it, they're, they're seeker sensitive, but not Holy Spirit sensitive. Nothing wrong with being seeker sensitive, but it can't trump being Holy Spirit sensitive. It can't overpower that. What's way more important? The whole goal in the church and the evangelical church in America today is don't offend people. We want, we want people to come in and sit in the pews and give their money. Can't offend anybody. That's the whole goal. And there's this careful preaching. Don't say anything that would offend somebody. Well, guess what? The gospel does. Guess what? The Bible does. You know, we, and, the, and as a result, there's this compromise. I'm not saying we should do it mean. Speak the truth in love, Paul said, Ephesians 4. Speak the truth in love. And, and I want to get all these pastors a bracelet, W-W-E-D. What would Elijah do? You know, they want to wear it, wear it up to the, the, the pulpit. And remember, what would Elijah preach today? What would Elijah preach? Because that, that's what's happening. We are seeing God's judgment on the church in America because we have become a compromised, cold church. So, back to 1 Kings 17, 2 and 3. And first, I'm going to read the verses again. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah, Leave here, turn eastward, and hide in the Kareth Ravine, east of the Jordan. God sends Elijah to camp out in a ravine. And here we go. This is crazy. If you think about it, this is probably the last thing Elijah expected, right? Last thing he expected. He had just turned off the rain of the entire country. He had just confronted King Ahab, confronted him. Really big things. Those are big ministry things, right? I've never done anything close to that. <laughs> Think about it. This is big stuff. He, I'm sure he had great expectations. Now God's going to send me on a preaching tour. I'm going to go throughout all of Israel and preach. Pressure the king. Have these big rallies and pressure the king and, and, and awaken the people and see a great revival. Wouldn't you have thought that if you were Elijah? It's what I would have think. But Israel wasn't ready for it yet. And neither was Elijah. There were still three long years of intense drought ahead that God knew it would take those three years to wake up Israel to start to soften their hearts to prepare them and not all of them it was just a remnant but even to prepare the remnant that was going to respond God knew it would take three long years of drought ahead and he knew what it would take to prepare Elijah for Mount Carmel wait till we get to that story he knew what it would take to prepare him for Mount Carmel's showdown with the prophets of Baal Elijah needed to be prepared in secret before he was ready for public success. Success is very, very dangerous. I don't know if you've ever been successful. <laughs> very dangerous. There's a reason why celebrities crash and they're all on drugs and divorcing and crashing and committing suicide. There's a reason why all these celebrities have these horrible, if you look at it, horrible ends to their life and really miserable lives now. Why? Because of success, because of popularity, because of being worshipped, and, and human beings can't handle it. Success is very, very dangerous. Only one person and only one being can handle being worshipped. His name is God. 
He's the only one who can handle it. Satan couldn't handle it. Wanted it, but couldn't handle it. No human being can handle it. And success is very, very dangerous. Even for pastors. Very, very dangerous. So that, that's why God tucks us away many times in his grace. He tucks us away in a little ravine. I was telling you about this big church, church youth group that I had. It was huge, bigger than our church. You know, it was huge. It was awesome. God was doing all these great things. But then God led me to plant a church in a tough area. And another one here. And then now we got another one in another tough area. This is, New Hope is known as the graveyard of churches. I don't know if you know that. When I tell people that we're planting in New Hope and we're still there after 18 years, they're like, wow. Because I was, remember, we tried to plant a church there, blah, 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 and it failed. Seven churches in a row I've traced down that have failed planting here. By God's grace, we're tucked in this ravine, right? By God's grace. But, but God led me to, to, to plant churches in tough areas. And I realized, after I planted the first one back in Connecticut, I realized it was God's grace. Because I was affected by success. I was infected by success. There was a lot of things that God had to refine out of me in the tough first church plant I did, and ongoing forever, right? Uh, that, that it saved me from many, many dangers. Our flesh must be crucified continually. Our, our, we must be refined, or we will crash in ministry and in life. We'll crash. We have to constantly be refined. For Elijah, there had to be a careth before there was a Carmel. Wait till we get the Carmel. It's an awesome story. But there had to be a, a careth first. And even after Carmel, there had to be another crash to keep him from, from getting a big head. Moses. How did God prepare Moses? Prince. Prince Moses. You know, that powerful Prince Moses who killed an Egyptian because he lost his temper. How dare anybody do something I don't like? What did God do? 40 years in the desert, watching stinking sheep. Prepared him. Joseph. Joseph, before he became the ruler of Egypt, what did God ha- where did God have to send him to prepare? Prison. Prison. David, King David. Where did he, how was he prepared? He was stuck in a cave, that's right, with a bunch of misfits. Remember? Stuck in a misfit. Jesus, the son of God himself. 30 years of obscurity. And then three years of ministry under the radar before, he was, before God led him to the cross to die in our place. Are you stuck in a ravine today? Are you stuck in a ravine, cut off from your hopes, cut off from your hopes and dreams, wondering what God is doing? How did I get here? Well, you may be right where God wants you if we'll be patient and, and, and get alone with him like Elijah did for this whole time. Getting alone with him, will we, we, we let him refine us? And prepare us. You may be wondering what God is doing in your life right now. 
You may be in the last place you ever expected to be. Don't raise your hands. You know who you are. It's all of us. But it's amazing what God can do in and through us, in and through us, when we surrender to his purpose. When we're like Elijah and we go allow ourselves to be cut off. When God does the opposite of what we expect, expect the unexpected. When God does the opposite of what we expect, expect the unexpected. Back to inner, the, the inner city ministry, ministry. We call it intermission. And I like to say, what am I doing here in the inner city? What am I doing? Why here, God? Why me? There's no cows, you know? What, what am I doing? And uh, I just many times thought that. I remember one time, Mischief Night. Halloween's coming up, Mischief Night, you know, coming up here. And I remember it was Mischief Night. And where I came from, Mischief Night was you used some soap on windows. And, and if you got really daring, you used wax, you know? Yeah, that was Mischief Night where I grew up, you know? Throw some toilet paper, whatever. But, uh, but when I, I remember Mischief Night fell on uh, youth group night. So I had to, I had to uh, take the kids home. The regular driver wasn't there. And I said, that's okay, guys. I'll get, get in the van. I'll drive you back to the, the projects. And I said, well, it might be a little scary to see. So I took some back ways and kind of weaved around in all these dark roads and dropped them off. And I'm like, yeah, it's not so bad here. I'm going to just take the main road on the way back, the main street through Bridgeport. Uh, and I remember coming, turning on that road and start coming down. And, and the road was like, looked like ice was on the road. I'm like, oh, what happened? There's like the, the road was just shining, sparkling like ice. And, and I'm driving and I'm hearing this crunching. I'm like, I'm driving on glass. And as I start to drive, you can hear pops. And I don't know if it was guns or firecrackers. I wasn't going to stick around to find out. But pops, pops. And, and I see glass and bottles and, and stuff going. And, and I remember I pull up to the first stoplight on that strip. And I pulled up, and there's a policeman sitting right at the other part of the other light, on the diagonal to me, sitting there, just sitting there watching, not doing anything, just staying in his police car. And, and I pull up to that stoplight, and, and I'm sitting there, and all of a sudden my car starts getting hit. There were some eggs, and then there were bottles, and who knows what, just bashing into my van. And, I, and it's smashing, and, all, I'm like, and I looked over at the policeman, like, what are you two going to do? And he goes, and he gave me a look back like, if you're stupid enough to stop, you deserve what you get, you know? And, I, and he gave me that look, and I gave him that look. I said, okay, and I just hit the gas, and I drove right through every red light, every light all the way down, the whole way back, to the, back out of the city. I didn't stop again, and nobody stopped me for doing it. I'm like, God, what am I doing here? It was like, it was like one of those movies you watch, the apocalyptic movies, you know, it was crazy. But I kept going back. And uh, there was a kid, Juan, who I mentioned. He said, I want to come to church, too. I want to come to church in Sunday school. And I said, okay. Um, you know, come down, you know. Oh, no, I didn't say I'll come. I said, okay, good. Why don't you come to my house? Because I didn't want to send him to the regular Sunday school. Because <laughs> I knew that would be a little over his head. So, uh, and so... I said, come to my house, we'll have bagels. We'll call it bagels breakfast or something like that. And we'll have bagels and I'll feed you breakfast and come to my house. So he came to my house. So I had a house right next to the church. It was a parking lot and I was around the end of the parking lot. We had a parsonage for me, the youth pastor and a parsonage for the senior pastor. And I was sitting there and we had breakfast. And um, he, the very first time he came, he accepted Christ. I just shared the gospel. 
So then he said, can I bring a friend? I said, sure, bring a friend. And so he brought his friend Rick the next Sunday. They showed up at my house the next Sunday, and Rick accepted Christ that Sunday. I said, this is great. So they, they leave and go to church and all that. And the next day I get up for, get, I woke up, it's my day off. I woke up and I see a car sitting right in the parking lot right next to my house. I'm like, that's weird, there's a car out there. And I walk out and, and I look in and, and there's all these groceries in the back seat rotting. They've been sitting there. And I looked in, I could see the ignition, you know, ripped, you know, ripped. And somebody had hotwired his car and stole his car and left it right by my house. I'm like, oh, crime has come to the suburbs. You know, I was so nervous. I was like, oh, my gosh, a car stolen right by my house. They left it right here, you know, right next to my house. I was like, so I start, told, told the pastor, and I told everybody, watch out, lock your cars. We never even locked our cars. Lock your cars. And I came with the youth group the next that Wednesday, and I said, guys, be careful. When you come to church, you lock your cars. And tell all the kids and everybody, and I'm telling them that. And after youth group, Juan and Rick were there, and they came up to me, and he said, uh, we feel like there's... Something we should tell you. We, we, don't want, we don't want you to be nervous, so that's why we're telling you this. But you know that car you found? I go, yeah, yeah. He goes, well, we stole it to get to your church in Sunday school class. I said, what? I go, what? we're not going to do it again. We're Christians now. But we're not going to do it again. I said, guys, I'll send a ride for you every week. Don't, bring, don't find any more cars to come to youth group anymore. Uh, and, and these guys started getting really close, you know, with our family and, and stuff. And um, I remember during, it was 92. Remember the riots in L.A. during 92, the L.A. riots? It was horrible, and it spread everywhere. It spread to where we lived, the, the Bridgeport. And they were rioting and burning cars, doing all these crazy things. And they were nervous. They, they felt it coming. They said, come and get us, come and get us. We don't want to be down here. So I drove down and got them before it got too hot, brought her back to my office. And I, I was trying to work, and they were sitting in my office the whole day. And then uh, we got something to eat. And then, then they're like, they still don't want to go home. I said, okay, come over for dinner. And they still don't want to go home. It was just crazy, crazy. And so I said, stay overnight. They stayed overnight a lot. So I said, stay overnight. And we, I, that night, we were watching TV. I'll never forget, we were watching TV. And they were showing the burning things and flipping cars and doing all these crazy things. Right in Bridgeport, they were showing the local stuff in addition to L.A. And I'll never forget, they said, if we hadn't become Christians, we would be out there turning over cars too. We'd be right there doing it. When God does the opposite of what we expect, Expect the unexpected. Let's pray. Once again, as we pray, we have our team up here. It's always here during prayer, during worship, after church. If you ever need someone to pray with, they're always happy to pray, and they'll pray the rest of the afternoon, whatever it takes to, to encourage you. But how is God speaking to us? Maybe you walked in this morning in a fog. How did I get here? Not here at the school, but how did I get here in my life? What is God doing? Maybe now because of what Elijah did, you realize that God has you right where he wants you. He has a purpose 
for this time. He's impacting us and using us to impact other people. Will you surrender to that? Will, you spend t- will we spend time with him and let him refine us in our ravine where we're cut off? Will we surrender to his plan for our life? Even though it's not what you thought you wanted. (laughs) Even though it's very likely not what we thought we wanted. Will we surrender to God's plan for our life, knowing that it's going to be better in the end, even if we've made a mess? We know, Romans 8, 28, we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him. In all things, God works for the good of those who love him. Even if we've made the mess, God is the ultimate junk artist and can take our surrender, our giving our mess to him. He can bring something beautiful out of it. How is God speaking to us? What do we need to to, do? work out with God today to surrender to him and while we're praying about that maybe you're here today and you're not a Christian yet you've never surrendered your life to God but today you're ready to take the first step and give your life to Jesus Christ the first step by putting your faith in Jesus Christ John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Maybe today is the day that you put your faith in Jesus, that you give your life to him. A simple prayer of faith, God, I believe Jesus died on the cross for me, for my sin. I repent of that sin. I ask you to forgive me. I put my faith in your son, Jesus. I give my life to you, God. If you've prayed that prayer of faith, you are no longer cut off from God. You are now God's child. You can call him Father. Anytime, anywhere, you have an an amazing new relationship with God through his son Jesus, whose spirit is now living inside of you. I want to encourage you to let somebody know, whether it's a family member or a friend that you're here with or Tell me somehow, communicate with me, let me know, because we want to encourage you and be excited for you. 
Father, I pray that as we wrestle with the struggles of life, where we are right now, Lord, I pray that because of today's word that we will have hope that you can impact others through us and that you are working in our life right where we are. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.